We will continue by turning to Psalm 110. And here is how Psalm 110 begins in verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will chatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And most of this psalm, Psalm 110, is about a victorious king. And when we read this, it is clear that David is talking about a future king. And from our perspective, this is a prophecy about the King Jesus. In verse 1, we see God himself seated on the throne and inviting someone else to sit next to him at his right hand, a position of great authority, a place where a great king has immediate access to God. And all what this king has to do is turn his head and talk to God because he's at his right hand. And then we see further that God promises that that great king is going to have all enemies subject to him. So much so that they're going to be like a footstool. And when we see in the Bible the word footstool, it means that that person, if they're like a footstool, is totally subject to that person because we can kick a footstool around, right? And then we read that God promises that this great king will not only rule over Zion in verse 2, but all the people of Israel and over all his enemies. And you know that it is one thing to battle an enemy, but it is another thing to rule over an enemy, to subject them so much that they can be ruled. And then as we follow this psalm down, this great king will lead his troops into battle in verses 5 and 6 and destroy those who oppose him and be a judge over all people. And lastly, in verse 7, we see that this great king is refreshed. Through all this exercise of kingship, through all the battles, through all of his ruling and judging, he's just as a man who drinks from a brook after a battle. He's tireless. He does not get weary. And Psalm 110 is one of those scriptures used by the Israelites where they were looking forward to a king, a Messiah, something like King David. And they must have thought again along certain lines. They must have thought back to the story in Genesis. And when God had kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his feet. 
were God's words to Satan. There was something was going to happen. And then the Israelites would have thought about how Jacob blessed his sons and how Jacob had blessed Judah. And he said to Judah on his deathbed, he said, Judah is like a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? He's talking about Judah, like a lion. But then he goes on. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is from Genesis 49. And so what was God talking about? And the Israelite is looking at this promise to Judah. He's saying he is going to be someone who is praised by all the people. He's going to be triumphant over his enemies. He will have the strength of a lion. He will be like a lion. No one can fight against a lion. He will rule eternally. The nations of the world are going to submit to this king, something like King David but someone who's greater than King David. They were looking forward to a Messiah, to an ultimate king. And then King David himself, he was promised that his house and his kingdom would last forever. His throne was established forever. And so the Jews of Jesus' day were looking for a king, something like what is described in Psalm 110. And they're saying, there's many scriptures that lead us to think that God is going to bring us a king, a Messiah. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is going to be king. Now let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ a king? And you would say yes. And then the second question I would ask, is Jesus Christ a king in your own life? There are some Christians who believe that Jesus Christ is a savior and that they have been saved, but they don't necessarily confess Jesus Christ as their king. And they will tell you, I made a decision that Jesus Christ will save me. I walked down an aisle when someone preached the gospel, and I want Jesus as my Savior. I was baptized as a believer. I made a profession of faith as a believer. And you're looking at this person, and you're saying, what are you talking about? Your lifestyle does not reflect Jesus Christ as a king, because your lifestyle doesn't show any obedience to him as a king. And they'll say, yes, that might be true. And they'll say, but I have been justified by faith alone, and I believe that I am saved by Jesus Christ. And they will quote a passage, a scripture for you. Do you not know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ? From Galatians 2, 16. And how do you answer someone like that who thinks they're a Christian but doesn't live like a Christian? What do you say? And you'll say, yes, I do believe in Galatians 2.16. It's crystal clear that you are saved not by works, not by what you do, but by faith alone. Martin Luther 
taught us this, remember. But then I'm saying, secondly, the Bible is very clear that faith that justifies us isn't by itself. I can't have faith without some other things accompanying it. True faith is demonstrated through the presence of good works and obedience to Christ. And I would turn to James chapter 2, verse 17. And so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We don't want to give people false assurance of salvation when they do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord or King of their lives. We know that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said it in John 14, 15. In Matthew 7, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then Paul wrote the Romans in Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that's if you have faith, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I need to believe both, that Jesus is Lord and that he has saved me. And then Peter, we don't have just one witness. Peter says, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so since Jesus Christ is king, and he is king of every Christian. What does he do as king in our lives? What is Jesus as king doing for us? First of all, what Jesus did, and when he started his ministry here on earth, he proclaimed the kingdom of heaven. He began preaching about repentance. And in Mark it says... The time is fulfilled, said Jesus, very early in his ministry. Chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. In Matthew 4, when Jesus started his ministry, he says he began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so... We ask ourselves the question again, are you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as it's used in scriptures interchangeably? And you might be thinking it would be nice to be part of a kingdom of heaven here on earth. And if there were such a place, I would move there. But there is no such place here on earth. God's kingdom is far and above any other kingdom that we know about. I don't know if this statistic is true, but we will say it. There have been over 21 major civilizations on this earth that we know about. They are civilizations that we're familiar with. Ancient Egypt, Persia, Chinese, civilizations. Historians have looked at 21 of them. Some of them still exist. The only thing we know about them is we see their ruins, and their ruins are impressive. We know a little bit about their writing. Their writing is impressive. They had kings. They had pharaohs. They had warlords. They had people who called themselves gods. 
But the Lord Jesus Christ has been king of the kingdom of heaven ever since this world has been created. He is a much different king than we live in this kingdom here on earth. The kingdom of heaven is ruled by someone who not only created the earth, but is sustaining the earth. And he's ruling in his sovereign power. Jesus didn't establish his kingdom by military power. He didn't have to come and conquer people, but he rules because he created it. He's the one who put it here. We read in Colossians 1 verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is king today. He was king yesterday. He was king at the beginning of this earth. He's going to be king when this earth is destroyed by fire. And you are either part of his kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, or You are part of a kingdom that is a subset of God's kingdom, a kingdom of Satan. But Jesus Christ is king over heaven and he is king over hell. If you are part of Satan's kingdom, you're going to end up in a place of torment. You're going to end up in a place filled with treachery. It is going to be difficult in the kingdom of hell. If you are in the kingdom of heaven, it will be full of the peace of God. It will have healing for your soul. Your body will be restored and it's filled with love. Jesus has a job that he's doing. He is actively bringing people into the kingdom of heaven. If you Go home this evening and take a look in the Westminster Catechism. Take a look at what Jesus Christ is doing as king. And it says this, Jesus subdues us to himself. Or you might read in the larger catechism, Jesus calls out of the world a people to himself. And so you as a Christian, you who've been called as a Christian, did not come because you wanted to get over the border into the kingdom of heaven. You didn't have to cross the Rio Grande or try and sneak in somewhere or use the powers of immigration to get into the kingdom of heaven. You were invited into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus Christ sometimes has to subdue you to bring you across that border into the kingdom of heaven. Christians have the spirit of Christ within them. He is pursuing you. He is bringing you to himself. And when a Christian trusts in Jesus, it is only because Jesus Christ has subdued you and called you to come out of Satan's dominion and come into the kingdom of heaven. When they come into the kingdom of heaven, A Christian is not brought in because they were saved. 
They come in because Jesus is Lord. You simultaneously are saved and you have a new Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, I'm not a perfect Christian. And what is happening within you? Jesus Christ is subduing a present word. Something that's happening today. He is subduing your heart. He's opening your heart so you want to hear the word of God. You want to apply it to your heart. We read that Paul, when he came to Thyatira, he had a lady in the audience named Lydia. We read in the scriptures in Acts 16, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said. That's what Jesus Christ is doing. He's opening hearts. We read further that Jesus Christ works to make you more righteous. In Romans 5.21, grace, he wants grace to reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He wants to make you righteous. He's working within you to make you righteous. And then you begin to love God and the things of God and others more and more. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so how is Jesus Christ asking as our king? He's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He's subduing us to himself. But secondly, he's ruling over us and defending us from our enemies. And let me illustrate this by telling you a story about Jesus that makes an important point about who Jesus is. This story is found in Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke 20. And in each of these stories... We read that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they're trying to test Jesus. And how are they testing Jesus? They're asking him difficult questions. And why are they asking Jesus such difficult questions? Because they want to catch Jesus in a heresy. They want him to stumble. They want him to make a mistake. And so Jesus finally says, how about if I ask you a question? Okay. They said, we'll answer a question. And Jesus says, is the Christ the son of David? Oh, easy answer. Yes, everybody knows that Christ would be the son of David. And then Jesus says, how about this? Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Well, When it says the Lord said to my Lord, the first Lord of that sentence is Yahweh, is God. And then the Lord said to my Lord, it's someone who is more than David. And wasn't King David the greatest king that ever lived? Someone who was Lord of David. And so Jesus is saying, who is the Lord of David? Well, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they couldn't answer that. They were confounded. How can David call one of his descendants his Lord? Didn't make sense to them. They weren't going to touch it. Because no matter what they said, something was going to be wrong. Jesus and the apostles knew what it meant. We read that Peter used this very passage 
at the day of Pentecost, when he was preaching to the audience who said, what is happening to you? And he stood up and preached a wonderful sermon. And one of the things he said, this is a proof that Jesus Christ is superior to King David. And he says, just as Jesus was raised from the dead and exalted in heaven shows that he is superior to David. And David was able to say that one of his descendants was his Lord because the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter explained to the people of Israel. And so therefore, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one that has been prophesied about in Psalm 110. Brothers, sisters, do you see that Jesus Christ is king over all, having fulfilled the prophecies that were given to the King David and all those prophecies throughout the Old Testament? And what is Jesus Christ as our king doing for us? Well, first of all, Jesus Christ as king is protecting us from the world because we see from our passage in Psalm 110 that he is there battling everything. And what is he protecting us from? He's protecting us from the world. Haven't you felt pressure to conform to the ideas of this world? I would like to say they want us to think in socially responsible ways. And so, yes, socially it's acceptable to abort babies. Yes, socially it's acceptable in any relationship you want. Socially it's acceptable for you to think that your gender is fluid. Socially it is acceptable for you to lie if it's for the greater good. And you as a Christian, because Jesus Christ is your king, wants us to think biblically and analytically so that what the world wants us to think and what the world is teaching us, we need to look at it and see if it conforms to the word of God. And so when you think about killing the unborn, is it acceptable in your knowledge of the scriptures to kill unborn children or kill anyone? You're going to evaluate the world. How did God create us, male and female? Is it acceptable to think that that's fluid? How does God want us to begin to associate with another in families? Husband, wife, children, parents, grandparents, grandchildren, all of those are terms that we read in the Bible. I don't read anything else. No other relationships exist. Is it okay to lie for the greater good? The Bible doesn't give me that out. In fact, that's a Ten Commandment, isn't it? Jesus Christ, as King, wants us to think biblically and helps us to think biblically so that we can withstand against the world. But secondly, he's helping us to fight against sin. He's reminding us that there are sins that we don't even know about that we are doing. He is causing through his spirit for our consciences to become more and more sensitive 
to what is happening within us. He is changing our attitudes. He's giving us a sensitive conscience. And thirdly, he protects us from the devil. The devil is working full time to distract you from loving God. Sports, your work, your family, anything. He'll use anything as long as it keeps you away from your relationship with God and with Jesus Christ, the King. Our King is working in us constantly, whether we know it or not, and never tires of ruling over us and helping us. We read in Isaiah, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawmaker, the Lord is our King. And then Isaiah says one other thing that seems to be strung along, but it isn't. He will save us because he is our judge, because he has given us laws, because he is our king. Lastly, what else does Jesus Christ as king, what else is he doing for us? He is restraining our enemies. They could be worse. He is conquering his enemies. We read in 1 Corinthians, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. They have that feet expression again. When all his enemies are under control, then he will turn over the reins of kingship to God the Father. But he is our king today. He is fighting the battle now. How do I know that he's fighting the battle now? Why do I think Jesus Christ is fighting a battle right now? Jesus Christ hasn't returned. He's still fighting. If he had returned and we were brought into heaven, the battle's over. That's how we're going to know the battle's over. And so Jesus Christ, I might ask, how is the battle going? Aren't you going to come back soon? Isn't that a question we like to ask? Sometimes we wish. I am in such terrible condition. You have to come back today. We're thinking about for Jesus. Come back soon. I have no idea. The scriptures have no idea when Jesus is going to come back. He told his disciples, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. We don't know when he's going to come back, but we do know we're in the last days. When it comes to the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, we read in Corinthians 15, verse 24 through 27. How are we supposed to live in this time of not knowing when Jesus is going to return? Well, I can tell you what you can't do. You can't go and build a Christian kingdom somewhere. I can't go and say there's a nice little piece of property here in Sussex County. I can buy it, and I only am going to allow Christians to move into this community. It'll be a nice little Christian community. People have done that, and where are those communities today? They've done that over the centuries. Where are they? They aren't there. It doesn't work. We can't establish God's kingdom here on earth. It's a heavenly kingdom. We are part of the kingdom, but we can't make a geographic kingdom here on earth. Okay, 
They can't do that. Jesus is king of the kingdom of heaven. What can I do? Can I force others to submit to God's rule? Can I force others to become Christians? No. You know the answer. People need to see the love of God. Jesus is the one who brings people to himself. And you as parents, or you as children, you would love to see your family members all become Christians, but you can't make any of them become a Christian. You can't make another person into a Christian. They have to be called by our Lord Jesus Christ as king. Thirdly, you as a Christian do have a job in God's kingdom. You are a witness. You are an ambassador. You are a citizen. And so be the best citizen of God's kingdom that you can be. And how do you do that? Well, one of the ways is that you spread the news, just as Jesus did, to the world. And you spread the news, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, repent of your sins and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and make him your Lord and Master. And lastly, Christians are to persevere. Jesus Christ is king. And we know who's going to win the battle, don't we? We're in the battlefield, and it can be rough. You might become a casualty. There are Christians throughout this world who are being persecuted today. Some of them may lose their lives or their livelihoods because they are Christians. They're part of the battle. But if you persevere to the end, where are you going to be? You're going to be in the kingdom of heaven in heaven. It's one thing to be in the kingdom of heaven here on earth, but to be in the kingdom of heaven in heaven is the most wonderful place you could ever be. Jesus Christ is fully king. He's not battling Satan anymore. And in the end, we are going to be in a place that is filled with God's love, love for us. And let's thank God that he is our king. We need to thank God that he is going to bring us into his kingdom one way or another. We don't know that way. And when we get to that kingdom, there is a promise that we have that is told in Revelation 5 verse 10. It says, when you have made them into a kingdom, you will reign on earth. I don't know what that means, but you will participate in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, in some way on this earth.